0: This is Everyday Everest, a podcast inspired by everyday people conquering an Everest all their own. On today's episode, I speak with Brooke Torres, founder of Hilma, a company focused on mass personalization of running shoes. Welcome, Brooke. Hi, Reese. Thanks so much for having me. You are a runner. You're a founder, entrepreneur, ultra marathon runner, dare I say thrill seeker. I first really got connected to you after reading an article that you wrote for Medium and in that article you spoke about your trials and tribulations running ultra marathons overall there was this general sense of personal growth believing that you're capable of more than you think you are originally and really conquering that Everest that we talk about when we think about growth mindset. So I'm really excited to talk to you more about that and to kind of pick your brain a
1: little bit about
0: growth mindset in particular.
1: It's so funny because I think when you hear your own bio or you hear your intro, you're like, that sounds pretty cool. And I feel like it's really important for me to kind of share that some of the things that I've done I would have never expected that I could have done like they were out of a category that I thought was available to me and so you know I'm super passionate about this stuff too and excited to chat more
0: how did you get to this point that you're at right now I mean our listeners know very little about you besides what I just said so tell us a little bit about what you went through how you got to this point and a little bit of what's potentially included in that article
1: So it's really interesting because I guess to quickly zoom pretty far back, you know, I consider myself kind of like a late bloomer growing up. I had a couple tough years in high school, college admissions weren't looking so hot for me. And then when I was in college, I really started to find myself and find belief in myself and learn some of the things that, you know, I think have been helpful for me today. And so as I was graduating college, what I started to look for professionally was something that I cared about, which sounds obvious, but I think, you know, sometimes there's a draw to go into a field that is like so-called prestigious, but isn't necessarily a good fit for you. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to work in startups just because I was like, Oh, it seems a little more relaxed. That feels like more my fit. You know, I felt like the bosses seemed a little more approachable. And so I started work for a company called The Muse. You know, what I saw there was that having a lot of learning for me and having a lot of responsibility was really energizing and fun. And it started to help me question like what else I could do that I maybe counted out for myself. And so I think that was the first time where I started to say, maybe if I found the right thing that I really cared about, I would start my own company. At the same time, I was getting into running a bit. And I think like I talked to a lot of women about this today, too. My idea growing up of running and just like exercise in general was a little bit like, first of all, running seemed like the most miserable form of movement. I was like, (laughs) why? When you could like play games, like why would you run? And it also seemed really elite and exclusive. And so I sort of counted it out for myself. I was like, ah, that doesn't really feel like something I'd be interested in. But Mm -hmm. I was finding that movement could actually be like joyful for me. It could be kind of meditative. And I think my experience, again, is what a lot of people have had where you do something that's harder than you thought you could do. So like, I remember the first time I ran 10 miles, I was like, this is insane. Right. Cause you'd never done it before. Exactly. I was exhausted. I was so sore. And I was like, huh, if I just ran 10 miles, I wonder what else I could do. And that same, you know, I was having that in my career and I was having that in running and it, yeah, it was just making my life cooler.
0: And it wasn't always sunshine and rainbows. At one point in this particular article you wrote of your first trail marathon, I knew I didn't belong and I wondered how I had the audacity to be there. And that line is so relatable because I think for many of us in various parts of our lives, we've probably all thought that at some point, you know, classic imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. So I mean, the podcast is called Everyday Everest. Talk to us a little bit about what your tallest Everest has been in this journey to get to this point and and how it
1: made you into who you are today. I mean, there's always these two lines for me. There's the work line and the running line, and they have so much similarity in terms of the roller coaster that they can be, and they kind of boost me up in their different ways. But it's totally not always been sunshine You know, like I've had times in running where I felt, yeah, like I felt embarrassed. And I think that's what I was talking about in the quote that you read out is that I think especially like proportional to how far out of reach something can seem or like how prepared we feel about it or how like confident we feel going in, it can feel so unstable to show up to something that we're not sure whether we can do or not. And, you know, for me, that was definitely some longer races, like the race that you're talking about. I showed up there and I was looking around at everyone else's gear. And I was like, cool, everyone is looking very professional. And I had a sweatshirt with mm-hmm. me, which, you know, wouldn't run like I would have more technical gear, but I just knew there was a lot that I didn't know. And what I've always learned in those situations is yes, I felt embarrassed. Yes, I've made mistakes. Yes, I've done things that. I look back and I say like, oh my gosh, if I knew what I do now, but at the same time, I know what I know now because I was willing to show up and try the thing. And that's been like good repeat lesson. Mm. And I think the same goes for career stuff. For me, I mean, there's so much that has gone into starting a company that was intimidating for me and can be harder for different people for different reasons. I mean, it's no secret that there's a lot of bias in the venture capital world when it comes Mm -hmm. to fundraising. And, you know, I was really nervous about raising money as a solo woman founder. And Mm -hmm. I've definitely run into things that have been, you know, people have sometimes been incredibly rude. I had one a number of months ago where an investor was like, you know, I'm not sure you could be good at math. And I just, I don't know if like you could do this. I, you know, I took some math in college, really loved it, like took a, a class on teaching math as well. And mm-hmm. you know, I looked at that and that stung me and I said, is there a truth in that? And it was uncomfortable, but you do get through and you kind of build resilience through continuing to to just push forward sometimes, even when it's the hardest.
0: Right. And you've written before about your mental toolkit you've specifically talked about the toolkit that the ultra marathons gave you. And and this was a few years ago that this article was published. It sounds like even since then, you've added to that toolkit professionally as well when it comes to building Hilma into what it is today and what it will be. So talk to me a little bit about what's in that toolkit for you. How
1: do you build that resilience over time? That's such a good question. And I think one of the big things for me is about managing my own expectations around what an upcoming event is going to be like. To take a running example, what I have found and then since read about in different sports psychology or like performance psychology books is that when I expect something to be hard, it's actually a really good mentality going in. When I inevitably encounter something hard, let's say I'm at Mile 18 of the marathon, I'm really achy. I've got a blister. My stomach is upset. When those things show up, I'm like, oh, I expected this pain. I expected this to be hard. But it's also why I'm here, is because the journey of getting through that is what's interesting to me. Hmm. Whereas sometimes I think there's this conventional wisdom, or I'm sure everybody's had a conversation with a well meaning friend where, like, you're like, uh oh, this thing has happened. And somebody says, oh, I'm sure it won't be so bad, or I'm sure it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. It won't be as bad as you think it's going to be. It's interesting because when we take that mindset and we say, oh, this won't be so bad, when we do encounter something that's hard, we're like, hey, this isn't supposed to be this way. Like, this isn't what I was expecting. This isn't what I wanted. I think there's research too around, this is obviously much more extreme, but people who were in imprisonment situations, whether it was Mm -hmm. like, I think it was more like sort of military, like captive based, right, Mm -hmm. that people fared better with post traumatic stress, when they were able to have the mentality of this will be hard, and I will be here for a long time, versus the disappointment cycle of saying, I'll be done tomorrow, I'll be done tomorrow, I'll be out tomorrow, I'll be out tomorrow. And I think that that fits into work, it fits into life, it fits into anything that you want to go and do that is hard, but interesting to you.
0: Right. So expect things to suck. And when they don't suck, that's a bonus.
1: Yeah, totally. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, that is the other piece, right? Is I think it can help you feel gratitude when you're like, hey, I'm actually feeling pretty good right now. And that's not what I expected. It's really interesting
0: because my whole life, I've been called an optimistic, positive person. And I haven't really felt it, but I I have often approached difficult situations with this, this hope mindset. Oh, well, after this, it'll get better. And I can say from my own personal experiences, when things don't get better immediately, it is disheartening. And it's really interesting to hear you flip that and turn it on its head a little bit. I'm oversimplifying saying expect things to suck. And then if they don't, you know, it's a bonus. But if you are going through something hard, kind of leaning into that challenge, it sounds like, is what at least gets you through the mental strength part of whatever challenge you might be going through.
1: Definitely. And I think what you're saying about optimism and hope is not, to me, it's also not entirely dissimilar because I I would draw the distinction between saying this is hard and I can't do it Versus I think that the attitude to take is this is hard, but I'm going to figure this out. I can do hard things and kind of no matter what happens, knowing that you'll be okay and knowing that you'll figure it out is the important piece. You know, sometimes in running, people have mantras. And I think for my first marathon, you know, it's the thing that you use when like stuff gets really hard and you're supposed to say it to yourself. And mine was something like, this is tough, but so are you. And I really wanted that reminder for myself. Yeah, this was hard. I'm doing a hard thing and I'm tough too. I'll be Mm -hmm. okay. And so that, you know, I I always also keep that optimism and keep the enthusiasm for whatever I'm like learning from whatever I've taken on. Do you still have that same mantra today? I don't. I have, I guess I have like different mental tactics when I race longer now. And I've taken a little bit of time off, like I've been so busy with my company that Running long like that just hasn't fit into my schedule, but also it's a choice. Oh, I've just started training again for something for the fall. But one toolkit for me now became humor. It's kind of funny when stuff is going like a little bit wrong, especially with running. I mean, I'm not talking about like catastrophic things in your life or whatever, right. but like in running, when I run into a, a branch or when I like trip, but am fine, or like I spill Gatorade down my back or something, I'm like, yeah, I, I can kind of laugh about it. And so that sort of powered me through. I use a lot of music. I have different boosts, if that makes sense to, to keep me going. I totally get the humor
0: thing. For example, this week, things inevitably happen with a four-year-old and a nine-month-old. And there was one dinner where everything was just going wrong. Everything that could have gone wrong did. And I took myself out of that experience a little bit and more tried to observe what was happening. And both kids were screaming. My partner was Really annoyed. Nobody wanted to eat the dinner. It wasn't great. And in those moments, I both want to cry and laugh at the same time. And there's a lot of times that I I will cry because it's just hard.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But also, I have noticed that I'm going to get through it regardless. And so my choice in a moment like that to use humor to just kind of appreciate the ridiculousness of it all yeah. is also really powerful in its own way. Totally. We are talking about growth mindset and belief in self and how that can change over time as well. And so, if you had to boil it down, what does growth mindset mean to you?
1: For me, it's been a little bit of what we were talking about earlier, which is sucking the lessons out of everything that I've encountered. Also, at the same time, recognizing that when something has gone wrong, it's not an indicator of whether I'm capable or not. Often it's a peg on the board of a journey that I'm still on. You know, I guess to give an example, I had a really rough race that I ran in Iceland, where I was in Europe with a friend and I was on my way back. And so I'm flying through and I was like, Oh, I wonder if there happens to be a race this weekend. And I found one and it's the longest Icelandic mountain race or something. Of course it is. Of course it is. And it's over these seven peaks. And this was like in August. So I'm not thinking about crazy weather or anything. But I now know, spoiler alert, that Iceland is incredibly windy and the weather can just turn. So nobody really knows where I am. I'm traveling by myself. And I decide to stop in Iceland. And I show up to this race. And there's just maybe like 30 other people there. And I can tell they are hardcore. And so I'm like, whoa, this is going to be a thing. And so, you know, going along, it's pretty cold. It's like maybe in the 40s. And it starts to get incredibly windy. It was so windy. My mouth was flapping open. I couldn't pick up a leg without it kicking into my other leg. And I'm starting to panic. And because it's over a number of miles, everyone is spread out. And... You know, I eventually saw a mountain rescue guy and when he saw me, he was panicked. And so he was like, oh God, like there you are. And I was like, I mean, if you're scared, I'm scared. Like now I'm really scared. It was just hours in this extreme wind, you know, no cell service climbing up over this mountain. Once I saw mountain rescue, I descended the other side of the mountain with the one other woman behind me, by the way, because I was back of the pack. And I pulled out of the race. As soon as I was down that other side, I, which is called in running, it's called a DNF. did not finish. And I'd never had a DNF before. And I was like, oh, I finally had my first DNF. I've run a lot. That was crazy. I'm very lucky. Nothing went horribly wrong. And I learned so much from that. And it wasn't an indicator of I'm incapable or whatever. It was just, these are the kinds of things we learn and grow from when they go right. And when they go wrong, you know, now I know a bit more about mountain safety and I should have been a little more prepared there. And there are things I would do differently, but you know, it equipped me for more things.
0: Right. Wow. You're on this mountain in a country that's foreign to you, severely underprepared in terrible weather, (laughs) (laughs) everything that could go wrong, it sounds like, did go wrong, except you weren't hurt, it seems like. You know, you were okay. You were in a rough shape, but you were okay. What was going through your mind when you realized, oh, crap, I'm in over my
1: head? Take us to that spot. I mean, I was shaken up. You know, as the wind started to pick up, I was like, woof, it is windy. And I'd been running through these beautiful fields, and I was kind of on this high from the way up to what was ultimately the biggest of the peaks. And there would be a beautiful stream. And it was just, it was really nice. And as it started to turn, I was getting less and less comfortable. I was really cold. And for me, when I get really cold, my hands just stop working. And like, I didn't have gloves. And I was trying to eat. So at first, I was kind of trying to do the things that I know to do when your energy is getting a little low, or you're getting Mm -hmm. a little bit stressed out. So that's keep eating, keep moving. And as the wind picked up more and more, I was not having a good time. I was thinking, I've pushed this too far. I've taken a risk that is too big. You're so far out from any farms or anything at this point. I was like, is something really bad going to happen to me? Part of what was happening was I wasn't sure if there was lightning or if I was basically having a visual disturbance from the speed of the wind and the the amount of rain there was
0: oh my goodness
1: I was like crying and running and I would look back to see if I could see in the distance the one woman who was behind me and so I would see her and then I would say to myself do I go back and join her or do I push on like how extreme is this gonna get right And, you know, like, I guess to give a sense of the wind, I mean, at peak, when I was up at the summit of the biggest climb, it was so windy that I was crawling and the mountain rescue assistant was reaching out to me. But we were struggling to get to each other. You know, in hindsight, I'm not even sure how dangerous that was or how it could have gone. But physically, I was not in a good place. I was extremely cold. I was soaking wet. I didn't have extra warm stuff. And it honestly, it shook me up, you know, the next day, I think I had another day or two in Iceland before I flew back to the US. It upset me in a way where I kind of withdrew and reflected on the ways that I was taking risks and the ways that I was under informed about what a mountain environment could be like, because I'd been running, you know, on the East Coast, I'd been running in Germany, and I'd been running in different places, but it was not so exposed. It was not such a like serious situation. And I'm glad it all happened that way, because nothing really went wrong here. But it was a good lesson for me. And it was a good reminder that whatever we're doing, I think We have to think about what the potential risks are and kind of what we're willing to do. And this was an instance where I was able to say, look, I really enjoy adventure. I love getting out. I love trying new things. I love being out hiking with friends and I'm not willing to go so, so far. And it was kind of a level moment for myself of let's think about what we do here. Drawing boundaries for yourself. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's really interesting as I'm hearing this story, thinking about the fact that your body was giving up before your brain was. It sounds like this was one of the more challenging things you've had to go through physically in your life. And yet you talk about thinking, okay, do I do this? You know, do I just push through this? And and i don't ever hear you talking about giving up in the sense that you're saying yes you went with the the mountain help and descended mm. but i don't see that as giving up mentally i see that as being practical about the situation and drawing that boundary and maintaining your safety but your body was was giving up before your mindset did mm. And it sounds like if your body wasn't at that point, you would have continued. Mentally, you were like, I can
1: do this, but I am choosing not to right now. I think maybe the way I'm telling it is suggesting what you're saying, but it's actually, it's a little bit of the opposite. I know physically, I could have finished that race. In the weeks after... There was a part of me that was like, I should have just finished that. It would have been another few hours. I would have been done and I wouldn't have this DNF. I had a little bit of regret, but mentally, I was good with being done. This has really shaken me and I'm good to be pulled out of the race, driven in a warm car back to this pool yeah. center and like get in the warm shower, you know? I think to your point, you know, I have another race coming up in the fall that I just started training for, which is a much bigger push for me than anything I've done before. So it's 100 kilometers, which is like 62 miles. And I recognize that I might not complete that race. If that's the case, I wouldn't necessarily be like I quit or I failed. That's a really long way to run. It might be a strategic decision to say, hey, I'm at mile 40. I'm really not feeling well, like something has made me or injured or whatever and like I'm not willing to do anything to complete that race it would be like the right decision you know what I mean mm-hmm. like I would feel good if I made the right decision right you know I, I definitely agree with the point that you're making that like sometimes quitting something maybe it's quitting a job that's not a good fit for you that's really de-energizing you that you know you don't have the opportunity to be successful in because, you know, maybe your boss has shown that they're not an advocate for you. Maybe the type of work isn't the right fit. Maybe the culture isn't the right fit. Quitting that job, it can be the best thing for you sometimes. And so I think, you know, I, I do believe in this idea of reframing quitting or failure as a choice to move on. Take what you learned there, you know, go elsewhere. I really
0: appreciate this story in particular. It's not one I had heard. It's highlighting for me truly how mentally and physically strong you are. I'm wondering if you do consider yourself to be a strong person.
1: So funny. Like, I think so much about this because our culture and like our media has really painted this image of what a Particularly when it comes to athletics, what an athlete looks like, right? And yeah. you know, with running, like you can picture what you think of as a runner. It's someone super lean, muscular, and a very specific visual. And you know, when I was growing up, I was a slim person without a lot of big muscles, and I thought of myself as really physically weak. And I thought of myself as incapable to do all kinds of physical things you know i think also part of it is sometimes just birth order right like i had two older siblings we would wrestle <laughs> i always lost like you know <laughs> these kind of things you know what i see is You know, I wish I could go back and tell a little version of myself or tell like other women or girls, you are so much stronger than you know. And some of these things that we put way out of reach, if you told me, I mean, 10 years ago, if you were like, you're going to run an ultra marathon, I would be like, no jokes on you. There's no way, you know, I do think today I'm at this point where I've kind of shown myself over and over again that every time there's been a dark personal time or something rough that's happened or a race that's been really hard for me that I've gotten through it, that I do have resilience and that I do have strength. And I think I can now appreciate that and also appreciate that it's not something that we like have, or we don't have. It's something that we can build. It's something that, especially when we can reflect on, how we've gotten through something hard and and appreciate that in ourselves and not have judgment for like however we got through a hard thing whether it's lots of crying that's fine whatever it is it's just a good reminder of how we can grow And I really, really
0: appreciate that you say it's not that some people have it and some people don't. You know, we all have the ability to be resilient naturally. One thing that I've been thinking a lot about when starting this podcast, and this would be, you know, a whole 10 other episodes is the privilege of growth mindset, because we know structurally there are structures built with the intention of keeping people down. And so the even just the thought of, I can do this, has this privilege that comes with it. Mm-hmm. The ability to say that, the thought that it's in all of us, and if the structures are in place to allow us to explore that more, that we can become more resilient and and stronger versions of ourselves is just a thought that I really want to hold on to as I go through talking to folks like yourself who've been through these intense situations Mm -hmm. what are some of the resources that have helped you along the way you know are there books that you reference often or mentors in your
1: life who have gotten you to be where you are Definitely. And I would just, I think, first agree with you that privilege and access are such a huge thing. And part of what I really do hope to do with my company is to show a more diverse range and just like really represent who goes running, who goes outdoors, who adventures and who explores because it's really hard to see ourselves in a place where we've never seen someone like us before or we're not seeing people in our community doing. it. You know, if it's like you're growing up and you're not seeing your parents or your parents' friends doing these things, whether it's career, whether it's adventure, it's hard to even take the first step of saying, hey, I might want to do this. And then the second piece is there is no doubt how many blockers there are for people. You know, one of the things that I that I think has been a good trend is just culturally people are sharing a lot more about their experience. You know, whether for me, it's always like I'm reading what other female founders write, Mm. you know, sharing the real real of what goes into that. Because when you have a, a sort of black box around something, and it's totally opaque, it's really hard to know how to get there it is such a multifaceted
0: conversation and it does deserve to be had. So I'm glad that you you spoke a little bit about that too. And, you, and you're totally right that representation matters. Mm-hmm. So I'm encouraged to hear that that's something that you're considering. You have this opportunity now and you're taking it by the horns to start a company knowing what we know now at this point versus some of these larger athletic footwear companies who've been around for a long time and might be more ingrained in their ways and less- willing to change and and here you are you have this opportunity to really do things right from the start to the best of your ability so so that's really encouraging to hear
1: it's nice to get to build a world that you believe in this ties back to your question about reading or resources i feel really fortunate that when i started my career i had people who shared a lot of information with me about like how they thought about things and how they thought about everything to do with business. That is such a privilege and so for me it's nice to be able to talk to younger women and pass that on and be able to share in some of that as I've gone on and been able to do different things from other resources side of things. In general, I feel like it's so specific to what whatever you want to do, hearing what people have done in that area and getting as much transparency into their not just like their work or their adventures or whatever, but really their whole lives and how they think about things. So for me, I read a lot of memoirs. Actually, I love that. And I love reading about different stories of resilience. And some of that was reading about like ultra runners and kind of getting all that like tactical information in there. But also just reading stories of other women and their experiences has been not just great learning for me, but also kind of therapeutic because you see that you're in this shared experience. And that's nice. Like we're all looking for that on some level.
0: And I think that's part of what encouraged me to start this project is in my professional world outside of this podcast, I work with college students and I hear stories every day of their growth and resilience or lack thereof. And I just got insatiably curious about what caused some people to believe that they could do this, certain things, whatever their challenge, their Everest might be, and and what held some people back. And one way that I've explored that and have moved forward in exploring that is hearing more people's stories like yourself. And I really, really appreciate you being here and being vulnerable and open about not only, you know, how you're so strong and what keeps you going, but also the struggles along the way. And you really have had such a fascinating story so far. And I know that you have so much more to go. And I'm just really excited to be following your journey with Helma and and whatever you do beyond it. And I just can't thank you enough for being here with me.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. It's so fun to get to chat about all this stuff. And I'm super excited for you as well. I feel like you're just doing a ton of cool stuff.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it. We'll have to keep an eye on you. Brooke Torres, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks, Reese.